We the City is recorded on Gadigal land. I pay my respects to the traditional custodians, the elders, past, present and emerging. Just a heads up, this episode contains some adult language. Art. Activism. Identity. Diving deep with one artist a week, we meet the individuals who use their art to trigger change in the city of Sydney. Who are they and what's their story? Stick around to find out on We The City. Hi, I'm Blue Lucene, and today on We The City, I speak with performance artist Emma Mae Gibson, inventor of Betty Grumble, stage critter, an action of spirituality, and member of Sex Clan History. I talk with Emma Mae about methodology, philosophy, community, love, and staying creative in a pandemic landscape. Here's Emma May. I find it... Uh, it's good to move energy around by being in conversation with people. So I've been on quite a journey the last couple of months, so it could be good to have a conversation about hopeful things and art things and creative things. Yeah, mm. definitely. And I think... Um, it's hard to realise what we've perhaps been through until we start vocalising it, mm. talk about it, and then we have that kind of realisation of like, oh, wow, this is where I've come from. This is where I am now. And yeah. holy crap, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reflection, space, process. Yeah. Definitely feels like a time where we're all in a real uh, quickening and pressurising and it's... Every time somebody's like, how are you? I just do this hand gesture of like a roller coaster or waves and then they nod. Uh, yes, it's very that, very, very up and down. But uh, I'm just grateful to be able to be able to speak about it, muse on it, reflect on it, do silly dances about it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Emma May, for joining me today. Um, you are a fixture in Sydney's nightlife. Mm. <laughs> for I have been for such a long time and everywhere you go you spread so much joy and just ooze this vibrant energy um, in mine and a lot of other people's opinions. Um, I was wondering for our listeners if you could describe Betty Grumble. So hello, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my civilian name is Emma May Gibson and uh, about a little over 10 years ago I invented uh, an avatar, sister, um, imaginary friend, war mask, love letter, and called her Betty Grumble. And I called her thus because my father's parents, my grandparents, Betty, she was amazing grandmother to me, and then my grandfather's name, we, well, we called him Grumble, which is a strange Australianism to grumbly older men, a grumble. Yeah. And one day I was doing this gig with um, myself and Charlotte Farrell and Claire Testoni, and that was the first art gang formed at uni, feminist kind of striptease burlesquing thing that we were experimenting with called What Makes Men Blush, and we thought we should make up alter ego names. And I came up with Betty Grumble, and it stuck. Uh, 
So for me, she is an action of my spirituality. When I first started doing her, I was doing her in yeah, nightclub, queer spaces, burlesque, drag, cabaret, um, performance art and art galleries and doing five to eight minute pieces. She was really a way for me to like, play with my body as a site for pleasure and protest and move my hope and rage energy around. And she still is that for me, uh, even after so many years, but I'm definitely experiencing a maturation in my practice at the moment. And I feel like when I first started grumbling, she looked a really particular way and she had a real particular um, aesthetic and um, appearance and way of moving. And I think about that as kind of carapace and that sort of been able to melt off quite literally to reveal me. And yeah, I'm so grateful to have the audiences that I've had and the connections and the peers and the camaraderie in creative space to storytell, move, move, move trouble around and, and share joy and be playful together. It's been a real lifesaver and life affirming thing, not without its challenges to, yeah, I'm going to be a performance artist. Um, yeah, so Betty, Bettina, Bettina Grumbel, she's, yeah, yeah, again, I'll say an action of my spirituality. Um, I'm excited for this next bit and curious about what will happen next. And for those of uh, the audience listening who hadn't um, perhaps seen Betty Grumble on stage, if you had to describe, because uh, 10 years is a long time and, and Betty has changed over that time, um, how would you describe her on stage presence in those early years? <laughs> well, I use the words warm ass before and when she first came out of my body, she was very grotesque and angular and particular about her movement. She would do these. There's one uh, act that was like, someone was like, it's like your Mona Lisa. But um, I called it the showgirl poo and she would come out to da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da, and do hyper-real striptease movements but kind of repeat them and um, morph them to make them even more ridiculous and then strip down and then shit. And it was not a real shit, although there are people that do that and that's amazing, but mine was a colourful, often Play-Doh poo. And then in uh, more recent years it's become a clay poo that then was rolled in. We used to roll it in glitter and now it's hundreds and thousands and then the 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 shit. So I've I'm really lucky to be friends with Peaches, the mm-hmm. amazing Peaches, who's so just a hero of performance art and music. And there was one show where we just met, and I did this showgirl poo and threw it into the audience, and she caught it. And then years later, I was in Berlin at her house, and she's like, "Come and come over here and look at this baddie." And she's like, "I lacquered it," and she'd lacquered the shit, and it was on her mantelpiece. I'm like, "This is." an affirming moment. Um, so, yeah, no for way. people who aren't, <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. That's amazing. I am showing off. But she, that, it gave me a lot of hope as a practitioner as well because this legend was so generous with their energy. And one thing that's been really exciting to me is that the work that I make, the voice, the um, articulation lands with people. Mm-hmm. I often play with the surreal and abstract um, 
But lands, and even in those short nightclub pieces, uh, the stories I'd be telling were ones of defiance and reclamation energy. And my beautiful mentor who had to part this world a couple of weeks ago, Elizabeth Burton, she used to say of herself, she's an amazing striptease artist, that the light just shone out of her. She used to call everyone goddess and so she became known as the goddess. But she would say, I was put on this planet to remind people to be kind to themselves and I feel like I belong to that worlding as well. So I remind you to be in your body and that... There is no one way to be in your body and that our bodies and our sensuality are sacred aspects to how we are in the world. Um, and so much um, of the protest that has happened within my performance and therefore the connections I have with people have been about pushing back against patriarchal violence and these systems that really, we've really had enough of it now, but like <laughs> trying to create a healing space for uh, acts of defiance. That is, it's simultaneously War Mask and Love Letter, the Betty Grumble meaning making. Um, and I've been really lucky to, like I started with short little acts and then started touring big long form works all around the world. Done Sex Clown Saves the World was my first kind of foray into okay, I'm gonna hold space for an hour with people. And then we did Love and Anger, um, which used Valerie Solanus's scum manifesto as a, a spinal cord um, in all of its complexity. And then The Unshame Machine, where I do a thousand pussy prints in an hour, and that becomes like a endurance piece and uh, installation and party, and I have guest performers. And at the moment, we're working on a show called Enemies of Grooviness Eat Shit, where I talk about composting myself. And it's about, you know, if I'm going to get a bit philosophical about it, um, taking Betty off or letting her slide off, looking at her and saying, hey, this is how I've healed myself through creativity. Um, I'm composting myself now to say thank you to Betty. She's not dying, but she does kind of belong to the universe now. She's on T-shirts. Like it's a thing that exists outside of my body, and I think that that is really special. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, that's where I'm at now. Enemies of grooviness eat shit. We're doing it for Vivid. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to going and seeing that. The first one-hour show that I did see was Sex Clan Saves the World. And I wanted to just muse on that title. What was Sex Clown kind of designed to do? Um, so I, as a way of describing myself to people in a mischievous way, I started, somebody called me a sex clown once. I went, oh, yeah, that's a nice collision of two words. And... Then people, like, what is a sex clown? Which it's a very provocative term. Like a sex clown is something you probably should just experience, or you uh, people you have to uh, see I, it to believe it. Yeah, yeah. but there, it's. I come from a long legacy of sex clowns, so I, uh, you know, heroes of mine like I would call Iggy Pop a kind of a sex clown, and uh, there's a legend, Glitter Supernova, who really carved out performance art space in Sydney and now runs Central Coast Pride, Naughty Noodle Funhouse, but she had she had such a huge. Um, part in making space for me to perform in Pretty Peepers Cabaret. And before that, her and Sex Intense ran a all-women um, strip club called Girlesque. 
Um, yeah, I would, I would, to people that want it to be defined, sex clown is somebody who's interested in using erotic energy and their fleshy body to challenge and undo and invite exciting ways of being with our sex energy because sex energy is such a creative, powerful force that is so, it's become so co-opted and... Um, uh, and so contr- misunderstood. Yeah. By so many... So much shame. Yeah. Because I've been listening to an amazing witch called Starhawk talk about... It's a book called Earth Magic, um, and she's talking about the history of witchcraft and earth worship culture. And um, uh, yeah, I think so much of what I'm interested in is a return to the body and to nature, and our that our bodies neither begin nor end. That we are constantly in cyclic uh, concert with nature, but we have been deliberately amputated from it because people benefit from control and power and they benefit from making us scared of our sexuality and that's why we might have so much contortion and damage and danger within sexuality because there is so much shame. And, uh, you know, like Elizabeth said, be kind to you. And Elizabeth used to say, who made sex a rude and dirty thing? Uh, Especially to queer bodies, like all of our bodies really, but I've got a lived experience as a woman and... I've been in deep process of trying to unpack and unshame uh, that, which has been a huge experience for me, which is a ways in which I've personally been made to feel like my body's not my own body, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, earth magic. <laughs> uh, what I admire so much and what enamours me when I watch you perform is your ability to pair high energy and intensity right beside that raw vulnerability and earnestness, which I suppose is at the heart of of clowning. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about the process of creating one of your shows? Yeah. Well, you mentioned Sex Clowns Save the World and I went on tangents about magic, but that, that was, you know, I began that show in a bin because... In my life, I'd experienced particular um, things that had made me feel discarded and I know that that is a through line for people to feel like other, that boundaries have been violated and that you've been discarded. And there's so much we in the capitalist scene we bear witness to the ways in which um, corporate bodies, machismo bodies, um, think that they are entitled to our bodies or to the earth bodies. So the bin dance was an important beginning point then to reweave my way out of and the final scene is me with the earth on my head and then I'm lip syncing with my vulva, don't leave me this way. Um, And the vulnerability, earnestness, yeah. I've experienced as well like people who haven't seen my practice will make assumptions because of the way I use my body Um, because I often appear hyper, hyper fleshy, and eroticized, and it's. I think that it's important to recognize for myself um, that those agendas that other people have, uh, you know, that's part of the work as well. Like even now, I'm coming up against. You know, I get invited to a gig, and then at a quite a big art school, it all goes forward, and then some big b- boss sends an email that says, oh, we're just worried it won't be appropriate. 
Um, so when you come up against kind of, you know, and I wonder, if, like, I, I, Mike Parr popped into my head. I'm like, I'm sure you'd be fine with that being in space, but also aspects of their work would be really challenging for some other people, but there's still so much. It's like, oh, gosh, she couldn't possibly be saying anything serious if she's clowning around or laughing or being joyous in her body. There's still so much to deprogram around bodies in space, how we're meant to behave, hierarchies um, of seriousness and how we're having conversations with each other. But, um, yeah, I'm a vulnerable, I'm vulnerable, I'm very um, grateful to be so vulnerable in space like that. And that's always kind of come naturally and I'm very interested in the ways in which the clown is a really important figure in history as a, as a kind of uh, shamanic figure and a border rider and, um, you know, I think there's a Charlie Chaplin quote that's something like, oh, gosh, I can't even remember it now, but about politicians and, like, oh, I would trust a clown before I would a politician. Yeah, yeah. When you are conceiving a show and then developing it, do you start with a theme you want to explore? Do you have a dream first? Mm. Is it a, a poem that comes out of your body? Do you start with a dance? Yeah. I'm assuming it's probably different every time, but... Yeah, it's a about tapestry. And I've been asked this question before and it's a funny one to answer about process, about creative process. Dreams, music's a huge, huge influence, um, and I've been really lucky to collaborate a lot with Paul Mack and Johnny Seymour of Stereogamous, and they're amazing gay uncles of mine. And yeah, it starts with an image or an idea, and then I allow myself to play and discover things. And like, for example, the pussy printing that has become a part of my practice that started in love and anger but it started one night when I was starting to bleed in my room I went I'm going to divine something from this and I pressed myself into a piece of paper and I laughed like oh it kind of looks like a bird like oh what if I could repeat this on stage and I'm like okay what if I did it while I was singing and then from love and anger you you know I what if I did it a thousand times? What if I, I used a lateral pull-down machine? So that's why queer space, nightclub space has been so important because it allows you to go, okay, I've got this idea, and then while you're in the doing this, you have another idea. Okay, now this thing can be that. And when I first was, uh, when, I, I've, when I was, since I was little, I've always wanted to be an actor or make work, right? Yeah. But when I was about 18 and first trying to navigate the maybe more mainstream performance world, I became really frustrated by the ways in which it made me feel. It didn't make me feel like I had agency. Like kudos to people that can navigate it. I'm like, oh, maybe this, maybe there's another way. And went to art school. I'm like, oh, you can make performance art. <laughs> so I really can't say thank you enough to all the opportunities I've had to make work like every week. I, even at the moment, stepping back into, like I perform at the Bearded Tit, perform at the Bearded Tit tonight, that's a really important space and doing some work at the Newtown Hotel and, yeah, 
there are seeds. You have seeds of ideas. And for me, it's in the doingness that they you can discover things. What is it about those queer spaces and the party scene that, that helped you kind of cultivate and and grow those those ideas? Oh. What's unique about those spaces uh, for people that don't get to experience them? Yeah, or queer space. Um, how would I define it? I would define it as a space that is very interested in liberation of all bodies. You walk in there and it's a true representation of lots of different cultures intersecting and chattering to each other and people in deep listening and respect and having really important nonverbal conversations with their bodies because there is a contract going on with the knowledge of the invitation into queer space. And I remember vividly my friend Charlotte, who was in What Makes Men Blush, took me to the Red Rattler and experiencing parties there. Because when I was young, going nightclubbing, I was like, oh, this is not for me. This is absolutely not the music, not the not the way I'd, I wanted to be on a dance floor. I would often get into a lot of trouble because men would do and I would react. So a queer space is also a space where I feel safe to dance for the most part and also space to be in my body. It's a space where we're encouraged to push boundaries and to be vulnerable and it's been a really life-saving force. We often talk about spaces like that as holding logical family, like you've got your biological family and your logical family, so you find kindred spirits there. It's also a space that holds people to account in really complex and vital ways. Yeah, we can have really tough conversations together and people look out for each other. Yeah, community. As Magana Holloway says, um, it's all about fucking community and I've been thinking a lot about my responsibility to community as I've benefited from it for so long and I'm going into this, you know, I, if you think about the maiden mother crone aspects of the goddess, <gasps> um, I'm kind of in this, I'm transferring into the mother of my art practice. Yeah. Like how am I holding space and what does what does a really beautiful... Uh, inviting space look like. Anyone can come to a queer space. So just respect. When I watch you perform, there's there's chaos and there's mess. And then as an audience member, there's this feeling of ecstasy because you feel like anything could happen at any minute. But then I can also see this utter precision and control that you have over the space and yourself at, at the same time. And I'm just curious, how do you strike that balance? Thank you. That's a very lovely feedback. Um, chaos and mess and precision. I mean, because this is my craft, this is something that I practice every day and I have trained in my life five, six, seven, eight, dance land, and I've sought out other practitioners who train their bodies to be on stage because the stage is a sacred site and it's to be respected. So I'm really happy to hear that that is recognised in my work. I feel it when I'm on stage and I also feel it when I go awry a little bit because one does. 
um, when you're working things out. But um, yes, it is a balance. And I have always thought about the body as uh, the paradox of it being a container and also that things spill out of it. And that's queerness as well, like the space in between things that we're challenging um, structures and systems and so that mess, which is often like blood or confetti or garbage, it's things spilling out, has always been um, something that's repeated in my work and now uh, I've noticed that water has been a really important conduit because it's like literally helped me slime the makeup off. Um, bathe myself and I'm thinking deeply about grief and pleasure and um, uh, the communal space of ceremony and ritual. So, yeah, i gotta got to have it together to be able to conduct that. But um, it's a wonderful energy when it's really singing and it's also something we all do together. I, I come with my energy and the audience comes with theirs and there's a third space that we create together. So it's like, how do you set up all of the um, the artifacts and the invitations to make that space happen? It's like a spell in that way. And did you do? You say you went to you did performance art at art school. Mm. Did you do clown training in itself? I well, I've done bits of clown training with other clowns here and there, mm-hmm. but I. Yeah, my, not to say you should have had. I'm just no, curious. No, no, I, it... I have. I've studied. I did a little workshop with Dr. Brown once, but I'd already been working for a really long time, and I think I'm maybe a natural clown. But and but I'm v- very deeply interested in the history of clown and the the techniques and the ways of being that people use to access it, um, and all of the kind of politics within clowning as well. It's it's very, yeah, very... I went to clown school. Oh, and there's a lot of politics. Yeah, clown okay, respect. So I think it's very interesting. What which clown school did you I go went? To? I went in Spain, but it was only <gasps> for three months. For the women's, no, it was a it was a Debonce College in in Ibiza. Oh, cool. So it was, <laughs> But um, it's uh, it's interesting about the politics of clown school, the European schools, and the, yeah. the this and the this. So, I've always wondered watching you, like, um, you know. And I think, yeah. But the, the all of everything that you do just sings an innate clown to mm. me, and I think that's why it's so enamoring. Like through all everything you do, there's that. Um, kind of golden thread between you and the audience and it just sings and sings and sings and gets louder and quieter and louder and quieter and, you know, it's gorgeous to kind of watch and then be a part of. Yeah. Thank you. Respect to the clown school. It is funny. It's, again, the paradox, like schools and ethos, like the benefit of training and structure, but then also you've got to take that and then just throw it away. It's like... Definitely. What's well, like getting up on stage? I, I've prepared everything, but I also have to be open. Anything will happen. So uh, a real, it's, and use the word ecstasy before, a truly ecstatic experience for me as well. And that's why I also really, you know, with deep consent and respect, think about that performance space as an erotic space. Yeah, it's deeply, deeply intimate, especially my work has always been really autobiographical and, it, like you said, earnest that way and it's interesting how that disrupts and disturbs people as well. You know, my work isn't for everyone but it's I 
again, so grateful for the ways in which it's landed. And then when you can see yourself reflected back or people connect, it's, it's truly sacred. Yeah. With that autobiographical element of it, how do you care for yourself mm. within that process? Again, with this stage of maturation, I'm really lucky to... Like Elizabeth's amazing mentor, I'm uh, mentored by another sex clown, Annie Sprinkle, the performance artist and pornographer and ecosexual. I turn to m- mentors and I'm trying to, um, yeah, take better care of myself because the body is a vessel and you, like some shows, as you'd be aware, you after the show you're like, I'm full and some shows, Oof. So it's like, what am I doing in my daily practice to take care of myself? I go to the ocean a lot. I have a circle of friends and like-minded folk that I chatter with. Um, I have a therapist. I go and lay on a table and people put their hands on me. You know, it's like, what, how are we resourcing ourselves to make sure that energy is flowing back into the body? And I really feel the need to schedulize that more. But that's a process. I also think really deeply about, and I've definitely crossed boundaries myself and made mistakes, in inverted commas, about um, uh, about how much I give. But I think that's also part of learning what to do and what not to do. I don't know. It's constantly shifting. But, um, yeah, I used to go out after every show and be like, hi, everyone. Well, now I do not do that anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, self, self-love self and self-care, especially when you're excavating deeply personal stuff. But for me, I almost, my, the biggest thing I'm thinking about at the moment is, is that my, my, myself and care, but also what it means to talk about pain and trauma and grief in a room full of people. Like you open the portal up and how are you also... As Barbara Carellis, who I did an amazing course with called Urban Tantra. She wrote a book called Urban Tantra. And she, one of her quotes is, ecstasy is necessary. But she said, okay, you've opened up the window. How are you pulling down the blinds at the end? And that's that where ceremony and ritual is so important. Yeah, I, I'm turning to mentorship now to deepen my care of myself. I was wondering if you did want to talk about your show Enemies. Mm, for sure, yeah. And what led to that and what it was like putting that. If we're talking about opening things. Oh, and- yeah, that's a portal. Um, so, gosh, it's so funny to think about time. Um, the year was 2018. So I started working with a producer. Up until this point I've been totally self-funded. I have never gotten funding um, I tried, but it's a oh, it's a whole trip unto itself. But I've been hard to put sex clown in a. Well, there's you know it's all that weird validation. Yeah. What is what what yeah, yeah, what? Yeah. But um, I started working with Tom Smythe and Performing Lines, who produce independent artists, and they're really cool. It totally changed my life, and it's come at a really important moment. So. Tom's come along. We've gotten funding to develop this work, Enemies, which we managed to do a first iteration of at the Red Routler, which was really important because that had been such a 
seed place for my um, work and my friendships. The show was about my experience of intimate partner violence and also the loss of one of my best friends, stage soul sister Candy Royale, who is a queer Palestinian poet, beloved by community, political, just legend of performance in um, Sydney. And I... Yeah, I'd, I'd, I I wanted to address the ways in which I'd use my creativity to process and heal. So I started thinking about composting and we developed this show that had those. I, I, I brought Annie Sprinkle onto stage and used one of her pre-existing rituals in performance with her permission. I brought Candy onto stage and she was on the altar Um and, yeah, we did this first work that is, if you put all my shows together, like Sex, Clown, Saves the World and Love and Anger and Unshamed Machine, you can really see a, a process. And so what I hope for enemies is that I can deepen being seen and deepen the spiritual work that can happen in that space now after a few more years of pandemic and, again, another two-pronged loss of a mentor, Elizabeth, and a creepy-crawly break-up, I am thinking, again, even deeper about grief, ritual and renewal um, and how to invite everyone into a space where, like I'm talking about these autobiographical things, but there are examples of um, life events and how I use poetry and dance and uh, ritual and the water to move them around. So it definitely dramaturgically has the same um, punk, rock and roll, party. I really would – I like the sensation like it's – I often do this with my friends, like 3am, you've been out all night and you're sitting in the kitchen together having a talk and it's deeply intimate that way, Um, as well as being um, grounded in spectacle. Yeah. So I'm rewriting it at the moment and we're doing it for Vivid in South Everly Works, which is a functional blacksmiths during the day. So... Yeah, the show, I talk about it as a show I do instead of an assassination attempt. So I do playfully talk about that raging body in that way, but as I've matured my rage energy, I think I've deepened my love energy. She was always there. Yeah. Yeah. So the title's now Enemies of Grooviness Eat Shit. Yeah, the title was always Enemies of Grooviness Eat Shit. Uh Uh-huh. And people, again, it's like, what's a sex clown? Like, what's an enemy of grooviness? So I, I think one, by just saying that sentence, you kind of, I've made shirts and people walk around in them as well. Uh, an enemy of grooviness. Uh, what is, and so I, I've always used the word groovy as well, like a super dag. I'm like, groovy. A grooviness is, um, I, the history of that word is when the needle falls on the rec- groove of a record, like when the record's really good, it's groovy. Mm. So... Something in that, yeah, I think there's so much noise and so much pain and confusion about where to direct 
what for those of us who are in deep feeling about it, what is uh, just total betrayal by uh, bodies in uh, positions of power, um, just psychopathic, just mad, um, ecocide and cultural just violence that they're doing to the earth and refugees and First Nation bodies and queer bodies and what? Uh, how, how can we create a space where we can feel those things? I don't have any answers for that. I say, especially in this reckoning time where we're starting to talk about violence and perpetrators of violence and the culture, there's almost a binary going on of perpetrator and victim and it kind of sits there like, oh, what's the space that we can create that um, is that compost bin where things are breaking apart? And yeah, I just want to offer a space of a deep breath of all of those things coalescing together and they don't feel so impossible. Yeah, I don't know the way through, but I hope that I can make a space where people feel a sense of recognition so that's in June, isn't it? June is when we're doing Enemies of Grooviness, Eat Shit, at Vivid, <laughs> in um, the music category. Well, that's fun. Mm. And uh, what should the audience anticipate to experience? How should they prepare themselves? Oh, um, just have a gorgeous little cup of tea or a Prosecco. Um, uh, it's going to be, uh, I would hope, whatever you, you can take from it what you need or want. Um, party. It'll be a party. It'll be a gentle kiss. It'll be um, a space where you can just be a bit of a mess if you need to be. Um, and yeah, I just hope it's some fertile ground. It's all be really intimate, um, funny, also a bit sexy too. And I'm excited to deepen my vulnerability in ways that I haven't before um, and deepen the poetics of space. Yeah, share my body again and um, be together. It's a space for us to be together with the trouble, as Donna Haraway would say, staying with the trouble. How, how are we together in it? Yeah, it's not an answer, it's just a space to feel. It takes so much courage to be that vulnerable on a stage. Mm. Um, has that gotten easier as you've matured or gotten more difficult? Um, I think I keep challenging myself to do more. more? <laughs> do more. Uh, like I keep using the word deeper and deepen, deepen things. And my mentor said to me recently of like, grief I was going through, like trying to wrap my head around things. I'm like, come on. So just let it undo you. Let it unbecome you. I, oh, there's something so interesting in that imagery for me. I, ooh, it's like when you're really deep in a psychedelic trip um, or in an altered state from whatever, uh, breath, uh, watching a show or going for a run or doing a dance. But when you are in these moments of yielding and surrendering to uh, really almighty, intense thoughts and feelings that don't really have coherence in terms of our humanoid brains. Yeah. Oh, 
I yield, I let it unbecome me and it's like a camera zooming in and out. So that's what I'm trying to yield to at the moment. It's like, okay, how can I create a psychedelic space like that where I'm not, you know, so much of creativity is like what am I showing and also what am I choosing not to show which allows an audience to play in the in-between space and also get what they desire from it. Yeah, vulnerability. I also surround myself with people that support me in that vulnerability. In the show is one of my greatest mates, Magana Holloway, as her drag king persona Craig Slist. And she was there that day in the courtroom where I was giving evidence against this person that had done wrong. And it was such a, oh, it was such a, uh, just a moment of how this patriarchy just infiltrates systems like that, that the defence attorney was allowed to shame me and attack me the way they did. So the show unpacks that. But Megan was sitting there in the courtroom, just up the back in this house of Helmuti, like skull design, knives coming out of it, jumper in her hair, just sticking up, just going like, she sat there for three hours, just going like, oh, you can do it, I love you. So the show's about that friendship as well. And that was a real moment of community. Like, oh, and yeah. <sighs> I don't I, I, I'm really excited about it, but I, the more you make, I think the more you open yourself up, you're like, okay, how do I keep articulating these very lofty, big ideas around healing, around justice, around community? And you know, I, I'm, I'm fallible as well. And it's like how I'm daring to be that. Yeah. And I just met up with my technician as well and fellow artist who's been, who did Sex Clown with me and Love and Anger and Unshame, Alex Tawney, and they're just a legend, and Tom. So, yeah, the, 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 the creative team itself is also a community. Yeah. I'm very well protected. <laughs> That's very good to hear, very good to hear. You mentioned earlier that when you were a little kid, you always wanted to be an actor. Oh, yes. I wanted to know, uh, what were you like as a kid? I was a rambunctious, little audacious. Um, my mother always says, you never stop jumping around. You're just moving around. I was, yeah, full of energy. I went to 5678 Dance and Drama Land, always doing little shows. I just thought, yeah, I totally believed in fairies, watched The Wizard of Oz and Rocky Horror over and over again on VHS taped from the TV. Uh, I think a lot of queers did that. Um, and, yeah, just a lot of energy but also held a lot of space for deep grief stuff growing up. There's a member of my family that's uh, disabled and that's been a big part of my um they're physically disabled, big part of my growing up and really being in my body, I think, that I'm incredibly grateful for all the facility and ability that I have to move. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you who your parents were and yes. what, what, what life, what impact their lives had had on your, your life. Yeah. They are amazing. 
Um, and uh, my father's a GP, family doctor, and one of those ones that is, you know, a classic family doctor who's been like a dad to so many people and his practice is in Fairfield. And as many doctors do have as well, that has a musical streak. So when the pandemic happened, I did this online variety night. My dad actually sang a song. It was really sweet. And my mother was a nurse and then an actor and then an aerobics champion and then a bodybuilder and then ran a women's gym. So there's this through line of embodiment, campery, thank you, Barty, um, in my mother's life that has directly influenced me. Like I do my grumble boogies, aerobic classes. Um, yeah, my parents are amazing, creative people who have also been healers. And I've been really lucky to be really supported by them, but it's also not without its complexity because they're from a different generation and I'm their baby and I I run around nude. Um, that's something that we're working through. You know, and I don't necessarily... My parents have come to see my shows, but I don't necessarily want to do my shows <laughs> in front of my parents, but I, I do want them to understand the relationship to community and that my 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 philosophy. They do. Yeah. Speaking of the pandemic and Grumble Boogie, um, I mean, what a phenomenon you've managed to create. Uh, can you t- tell the listeners about about that? Yeah. So for, for many years I'd done Grumble Boogies in person and then... And what is a Grumble Boogie? Oh, what is a Grumble Boogie? A Grumble Boogie is a, an aerobic disco dance class. So it's an hour-long and we do um, quite a workout, gooey warm-up, cardio, a bit of heart pumping, muscularity stuff, and then we learn a daggy routine and a teacher. And my choreography and my style of teaching is also quite chaotic and uh, gooey, and I think people really like that. It feels accessible for people, and it's been a great way for me to... Uh, be supported in my art practice and also it gives me energy to teach. I love running workshops and teaching classes. And um, then when the pandemic hit, I just started doing a grumble boogie every morning on Instagram Live or Facebook just for 20 minutes. I'm like, right, we're going to get up and move. And that was for me, for my highly, you know, body that needed that. And it was ritualistic and it was great that people joined in and I've received so much love for it and now we're doing boogies again in person, so it's really sweet. But, yeah, that was, I mean, we were in it, so I don't think we fully, it's hard to realise the weight and the ramifications of that psychological just challenge we all went through but I wanted to offer something that was embodied and silly even if people were kind of annoyed by it as well it was just this other (laughs) you know come on everyone let's woo I I know people definitely were like oh god or they just sat in bed and watched it but it was something else other than 11 o'clock how many cases kind of this really this intensity that we're all trying to metabolize together and there is such magic in our bodies in our somatic uh knowledge that like I know even trying to teach classes at the moment and move through deep grief stuff and heartbreak, I'm like, oh, come on, grumble, just get up and do it. And I always feel lighter 
better after I've moved around, get some dopamine, oxytocin, all that endorphin stuff. So there's an exciting project that is going to happen um, that I'm going to collaborate with my sister, Naveen Hippopo, uh, who lives in Nam, and we're going to do a 24-hour grumble boogie. Wow. And we are going to – she's going to DJ for 24 hours and I'm going to move around for that 24 hours. epic. Yeah, I think it, hopefully it's happening. I don't want to, you know – you get some electrolytes up. I know. Well, I, I also, in my practice, like the unshamed machine, like, oh, what are the performance art kind of rites of passage that one does? And they are like, endurance performance installation. I like to play and fuck with genre in mm-hmm. that way. And I am genuinely excited to dance for 24 hours. I think it's going to be cathartic. Some, you'll be in a trance. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Yeah, and I'm excited to see who will come and we'll have special guests and, yeah, it's Tom. Tom's really excited about it as well. Like, can we get – we were doing the design of what the stage looks like. I'm like, yes, and then swings fall down and then fringing curtains and then mirror balls, like, just to create a sublime space. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Oh, just that I'm excited to keep meeting in live space. I know we're still in this – reintegrating, uh, remembering strangeness and I I thank bodies that are coming into those spaces again and I also give love and awareness to people who aren't there yet and we're all negotiating that together. So uh, just a big thank you, body, to everyone that supports my work. I'm excited to see and feel everyone in space again. And yeah, as Elizabeth Burton would say, be kind to you. Kindness, love energy. Emma May, thank you so much for being on We The City. My pleasure, thank you. The City is a Jaboa production, hosted by me, Lulucine. The City of Sydney is our principal partner, and we thank the Creative Grants Program. This episode was produced by Lulucine and Tegan Nichols, with original music by Matt Cornell. We The City is recorded on Gadigal land. Sovereignty was never ceded. <laughs>